So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, who you are. God, that you truly are good. And Lord, we, we see that in this season, the season of Advent and Christmas, where your, your goodness was uh, realized through the sending of your son, Jesus. And so, God, we thank you for that. Lord, now, I know that this is a season for some that is of great joy, being with family and friends and just great times. But God, I also know that this is a difficult time for some of us. So God, what I pray, Lord, is that you would minister to all of us, Lord, through the power of your word. God, I actually believe that if you would speak to us and we could hear your voice, that our lives lives would be different from this moment forward. So God, now I ask for you to come and to help me to communicate this word that you have for me and for us here this evening. And God, we pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, oh, you got to help me a little more. Everybody said, there we go. There we go. That was healthy. Well, I'm not sure if, uh, if you've noticed or not, but Christmas is on its way. And all of the different things that are happening from our sets and all that type of stuff. And we actually, uh, over at Irvine, we had our, our tree lighting this past Friday. And it was just a great time uh, for kids and for us to be together and sing songs and uh, those types of things. They helped me kind of, you know, get, get, get in gear for the Christmas season. But as I was thinking about that, uh, one of the things that I, I started to think about as I saw the kids and is that time when I was a kid. And I wanted to know if there was any, anybody in the room who ever put one of these things together. Now, what this is, before we have a slide, but before we put that slide up, what this is, is this is a Christmas wish list. And this happens to be mine from a long time ago. We're going to get to that in a second. But I need a little bit of participation this evening because I want to know what were some of the things that were on your Christmas wish list as a kid? A bicycle? Skateboard, a Barbie, a Big Wheels, what else? What was it? Easy Bake Oven, duh. Oh, are we not in Huntington Beach? Did, not, did no one want a surfboard? No? Okay, okay. You probably already had that, but what else? G.I. Joe, now we're warming up a little bit. See, I taught this morning, and when I threw this question out, everybody was like, you know, a bike or this or that, and then we started to move into the real thing. So we got G.I. Joe. What else? What are some other things? Peace. What is it? Peace. Peace? Peace. Peace. There we go. So there's some other things, too, on the list. Well, I happened to, uh, I happened to bring along my list that I wanted to read for us this, or this evening. And as you, I think we've got this on the screen, and this is what mine was. So I said, dear Santa, how are your reindeers doing? And now I appreciate that they actually corrected my spelling, but as you can see there, that is not how I spelled it. And I said, have you, have you fed them hay today? Do you see how much I cared for Santa's reindeers? Actually, it was all a setup to get to the meat, which was right here. I said, could you please bring me a remote control car? And a big Frisbee, because who wants a small Frisbee? And some Dyna Riders. Now, some of you, if you're around 30 years old, which is where I'm at, this might be familiar, maybe not. But you're thinking, what is a Dyna Rider? Well, around this time that this was written, there was this toy of these figures that would ride on dinosaurs, and hence the name Dyna Riders. And I wanted one of those. But look at this, I'm going to sweeten the deal for Santa, right? If you bring me this, I'm going to help you out. 
I said, I left some chocolate chip cookies and Oreos and a glass of milk on the table just for you. And then in case you're not, you don't know who it's from, I said, from Michael. Now those Oreos and cookies and milk, this was before type 2 diabetes ever existed. This is before that. But as I was looking at this and I was reflecting on you know, this thing that we do with our kids and the Christmas wish list, is that I had this idea that as a kid at Christmas, we learn to wish for stuff and then hope that it happens. But the challenge with this is that as we grow older, what I believe, I believe that this actually becomes our definition of hope. That we begin to wish for things and then hope that it will show up under our tree. That we wish that he would notice her. That we wish that she would notice him. We wish that there would be a new car. We wish for a new job. And this becomes our, our definition of what hope looks like. But the challenge of this as well is that we do this in our relationship with God. That we begin to wish for things, wish that God would show up, wish that God would make some things happen, and then hope that somehow it would show up under our tree. But the challenge is, is that this is not hope. That this is not the definition of hope. So what is hope? And why at Christmas time do we, why do we have themes of hope? Why do we talk about hope in this season? Well, we're going to look at that this evening. But before we do, we're in this series called Christmas is. And last week we looked at Christmas. Christmas was peace. And this week we're looking at Christmas being hope. And the reason for this series is this. There's the what and the why. The what is that we want to help you, we want to help ourselves re-aim and refocus and recalibrate ourselves to the hope and the expectation and the wonder that Christmas really is all about. And the why is because life and culture has a way of defining Christmas. You ever watch TV and you see commercials of families being together and they've got their coffee cups and they're opening their Christmas gifts and everybody just seems so happy and then we walk into our own family situations, and I don't know if your family is anything like mine, but there's not, sometimes there's not a lot of joy and peace that are happening when everybody gets together. And so we want to re-aim that and refocus that. Well, one of the ways that we do that is that we go to God's Word. And so we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here this evening. Now, if you have your Bibles or however you get a copy of the scriptures, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 64, and then we're going to jump around a bit. But before we get there, is um, one, of the, one of the gifts that Mariners wants to give to um, all of us is this idea of having an Advent devotional. If you're looking for uh, uh, an email or something uh, that can kind of point you in that direction as you work through uh, this season, then we're, I think we have a slide for this, is that you can actually subscribe to uh, marinerschurch.org advent, and they will send you uh, an email, and it, usually it's, they're written from our pastors, and uh, different people have contributed to this, and there's scriptures attached to it, but we want to encourage you to jump in on this, and this can really uh, guide you and direct you in this season. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 64, and something you have to understand about Scripture is that Scripture kind of, it tells this story in, in, a, bit of a, in a bit of a story arc, that ever since Genesis 3, the, where the, everything kind of fell apart, that God has been on mission to seek and to save and to reconcile. He's been on mission to repair the relationships that were damaged between you and I 
between you and her and her and him, between us and our communities, between us and God, that God has been on this mission to, to repair this thing that has been broken. And as you, if you work through scripture, you'll know that God started with a person, that he started with this person in Abraham in Genesis around chapter 12, that he came and he, to Abraham and he made a promise to him that through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And then from Abraham, he moved into a people that God decided to set up a people for himself who would be the blessing. But see, the hope has always been that God himself would come. That even though he started with a person and then a people, the hope has always been that God would come. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 64 here for a minute. And this is a bit of a condensed version of the chapter. I pulled uh, verses 1 to 3 and 5 together so that we can get this concept tonight. It says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Come down to make your name known to your enemies. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. When Isaiah, when this is penned in Isaiah 64, what's going on is it's actually a lament or an appeal for God to show up. You see, they had made a mess of things. They were, they were trapped in their sin. They were trapped in the mess that they had created. And so they're lamenting and they're appealing for God to come. That even though I created this mess, my hope is that God would come. They believe that God would show up for them. And then in Psalm 80, we jump ahead a little bit. In Psalm 80, verses 2 to 3 and 17, it says this. It says, Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Now listen to what verse 17 has to say. It says, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. You see, in Isaiah, the hope was that God would come somehow and deliver them. But then in Psalm 80, the context for that is that they are literally facing uh, destruction. That when this is penned, they're facing destruction and they're hoping and believing that God was going to send a person. It says, let your hand rest on that person, on the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. And so you can see scripture moving ever so closely to this idea of raising up a person. And then in Isaiah chapter 7, I don't have this for the screen, but it's a famous verse. If you've been around church around Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Have you ever sang the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel? What you are singing, that word Emmanuel means God with us. You're saying, O come, O come, God be with us. And Isaiah prophesied about such a leader who would come and to deliver them. But the thing with Israel, the thing with the Israelites that they didn't see, that they missed seeing, was that although they wanted a leader, someone to come and deliver them, they missed seeing that God not only wanted to come and deliver them, but he wanted to deliver you and you and me, all of us, that he had a much bigger plan, a much bigger thought for deliverance. Well, have you ever hoped for something small, but you got or you received something much bigger? You ever went to one of those places that serves food from a drive-thru window, 
and you order a French fry, and you start to drive away, and you open the bag, and there's two French fries in there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. When I, uh, I grew up in the great state of Ohio, which in a message on hope, let me just tell you something about hope. Yesterday, last night, Ohio State was not in the top four college football playoff. And then this morning, God showed up in a miraculous way and got Ohio State into that playoff. And I will pray for anybody that is a TCU or Baylor fan here this evening. I am so sorry, but at the same time, I am not. But I grew up in, this, in, the, in Ohio, and when we moved to Ohio, we, we moved into this neighborhood that had a community center, which was great, awesome. And uh, at the community center, they had basketball hoops. And so uh, me and my brothers, we would ride our bikes over to the, over to the community center, and uh, we would get there, and, but I noticed that they had basketball hoops, but they had no basketballs. And so me and my brothers would have to, like, be friendly with, like, other kids or try to make a way to get ourselves in so that we could play. And so finally, I just told my parents around a, a birthday or Christmas, I can't remember, I said, listen, there's a community center with basketball hoops, but we have no basketball. Will you give us a basketball? And you know what they gave me? A basketball hoop. That I, and a basketball. And a basketball. But you know what I noticed? So we've got this basketball hoop, and we set it up in our, in our house, and kids from all over the world showed up at our house. I'm just joking. But kids from down the street and from behind us and all over the place, they started to show up at our house to play basketball. And we had these epic games with a bunch of kids in our yard, and I'm sure our parents hated it because we would tear up the grass and all that kind of stuff. But what I noticed is that I had, I had hoped for something small, but what I had received was something so much larger. You see, the people of Israel were hoping for a leader to come and to deliver them. All they could see was what God could do for them. What they missed was what God was wanting to do for the world. That he wanted to send a leader that would not only deliver them, but would deliver all of us sitting in this room this evening. Because this is why Christmas, we're hopeful at Christmas. Christmas, It's because when God shows up, it's always more than we expect. Always. And in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 9, and then I put it together 5 and 7, because I wanted to capture this, is that God has come in and through the person of Jesus. It says this, God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you in the fellowship with this Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And listen to this. For in Him you have been enriched in every way. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Can we hold that scripture up for a second? Two things I want to point out. The first is that God is faithful. God is faithful, meaning God did what He said He would do. When the, when the prophets prayed and prophesied for a leader to come, when Psalm lamented that God would send a leader, God did send the leader. God fulfilled his promises. The other thing is this, is that it says that we, we are enriched, that our lives are enriched. Not only did not, it wasn't enough for God to just send a deliverer to deliver us, but rather he enriches our lives. And we, in, through, in and through him, we lack no spiritual gift. You see, God has come through the person of Jesus Christ to deliver us and establish his kingdom. And because of this, there is hope for today. There is hope for your life. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for the things that you worry about. 
There's hope for the things that occupy your mind. Because of what Jesus has done by coming, that there is always hope. Listen to me. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't know where you're at. I want you to know, if you hear nothing else tonight, that there is always hope in and through the person of Jesus. And one of the beautiful things, as I look out in this audience, is that God sets up a people, that we have a community of people. Listen, if you are a person that, that sits on the fringes, that sits on the outside, I want to encourage you to step into community. What would it look like even in this season? You don't have to wait for January rooted and life groups to start. What would it look like for you to step into community? Because in there, I promise you, what you will experience is not only friends and fellowship, but you will experience hope, hope for your life. There's hope for today because of what Isaiah 7:14 prophesied. Emmanuel, God is with us. But here's the interesting thing about hope and about Christmas and Advent is that Christmas points us back. Christmas points us back. When we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded of this time and we'll sing songs about baby Jesus coming. And, and it's a great thing because through baby Jesus became the man of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And it's a wonderful thing. And it points us back. But one of the things I think that, we, that gets missed in this season is that Advent and Christmas also points us to a future return. It points us to a second coming, a time when Jesus will come again. What I hate about this time that we live in is that this idea of Jesus coming again has become uh, this, this doom and gloom message that Nicolas Cage makes movies about Jesus coming back, and it's this horrible thing. But listen, when I read the scripture, what I see about Jesus coming back is no horrible thing. That when Jesus comes back, that he will restore shalom to the earth. Shalom meaning peace or everything will be as it was intended to be. You see, as we talk about this story arc that we're on, what God is actually doing is, is moving us back to Genesis 1 and 2. To the world that he created, the good world. And we're on that. And so uh, some of the words from Jesus as we jump ahead. And these are the words that often get, gets missed in this season, but it's about him returning. Look what Mark 13 has to say. It says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. There we go. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. If anybody has ever grown up in any, in any part east of Bakersfield, you know this has some context for you. It says, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it, or another translation reads, he is near, right at the door. So, these are Jesus' words. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, anticipate, because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Advent, Christmas, when we celebrate this every year, it's intended to shape us and reshape us, knowing that God is coming back. But Jesus' words to his disciples are essentially this. He says, hey, I want you to learn how to tell time. I want you to learn how to read the seasons and read what's going on. The other thing is this. He's like, he says, I want you to be ready. Be on guard. Be alert. Watch. He wants us to be ready. Because the hope of Jesus' return is what shaped the disciples' lives. 
They literally reoriented their life around this idea, around this truth that God was going to come back in and through the person of Jesus. You see, we're not only, this is not only a season of Advent for us as believers, for you that would call yourself a believer. Rather, we are people of Advent. And I'm so happy that we have four weeks that remind us of this season, but we are a people of Advent. We are people that are eagerly expecting God to return because our hope in tomorrow is what shapes us today, that I live my life differently knowing that there is a hope in Jesus' return. C.S. Lewis had this to say, and I captured the last part in your bulletin, but I want to read the whole thing to you. He says this, hope is one of those theological virtues. Oh, we have it. You guys are awesome. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And then this is his famous quote. You aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. I think what C.S. Lewis was trying to capture is this idea that our hope in tomorrow is what shapes us today, that we reorient our life around this truth that God is coming, and therefore I get my life together. I get it in order, knowing he is on his way. So, are you ready for hope? Are you ready for hope? Are you ready to take the mountain in light of hope being here, and that hope shapes us? Are you ready to take the mountain? Are you ready to go? So what do we do? We wait, we wait, we wait and we anticipate, we wait and we anticipate. When I say wait, that doesn't mean we do nothing. Rather, listen to what 1 Corinthians 1 has to say. It says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Listen, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing in that is that we don't lack while we wait. Now the world would teach us something different, and actually our reality is that it teaches us something different. Rather, what it teaches us is that if we are waiting in line, then we are lacking something. As we all go to the restaurants, we go to the department stores, right? We're all standing in line, and the world is just reminding us that you don't have, which is why you are waiting but what God's truth in this scripture teaches us something different. What it says is as you wait, as you eagerly wait, you lack nothing. The other thing is this, is that there is a promise in that scripture. Can we pull that scripture up one more time? That there's a promise I don't want us to miss. It says, he will also keep you firm to the end. That as we wait on God, God actually keeps us firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's a couple of things that I want to point out this evening as we begin to conclude. Is that waiting is shaping. 
That as we wait on the Lord, it shapes our character, it shapes our stories, it shapes our purposes, it shapes who we are. And if you don't believe me, has anybody in here ever been a waiter or a waitress or a barista? Yeah, that's okay. I'm raising my hand. When I first moved to Orange County, I got a job at the Spaghetti Factory in Newport Beach. And let me tell you something about being a waiter. Being a waiter will teach you very quickly that the world does not revolve around you. Rather, what it teaches you is that for at least for four or five hours that you're on the floor, your life revolves around those three or four tables that you have in your section. But you see, as we wait on the Lord, it shapes who we are. It shapes our story. It shapes our purposes. It shapes these things. And as we wait on God, we become life-giving people. The other thing is this, is that as we wait on the Lord, it's gaining. As we wait on God, we actually gain. And this is one of those counterintuitive kingdom principles. Now, uh, has anybody in here, not by a show of hands, because this is a place of grace and mercy, has anybody ever here been to the gym? You know, I'm not looking for hands, I'm just... Metaphorically, I'm assuming some of us have been there and some of us haven't. That's okay. But when you, have you ever been to the gym and, and you're walking around and you notice that there seems to be people who are exercising but they're not moving? Have you ever noticed that? You ever been walking by and it seems like they're exercising but yet you notice that they're not moving at all? You see, there's this idea of it's called isometric, isometric strength training. And the idea behind isometric strength training is that you, you actually don't move, but at the same time, you are gaining. Another way to look at it is this. Have you ever heard of these things called planks? Planks at the gym. So I'm going to actually demonstrate this for you. I tried to get Jairus to, uh, to do a little, a little round off here, but he, he declined. So I'm going to demonstrate. Are you ready for this? Okay, I'm going to demonstrate. So a plank is when you get down... On this, and you'll notice immediately that I have incredible form. Yes? No? Okay. So I'm looking at the clock. I've got a little thing here. And as I'm, as I'm not moving, I'm not moving, that what's actually happening is that I'm strengthening my core, strengthening my shoulders. And I, I can go for like four or five minutes. I'm just joking about that. But there's this idea of isometric strength training. And that as I wait, as I stand still, that what is actually happening is that I'm not losing, but I'm rather I'm gaining. You see, as we wait on the Lord, he not only shapes who we are, but he actually strengthens who we are at our core. But the third thing about waiting and anticipating is this, is that as we wait on the Lord, we learn to trust in him. As we wait on God, as we wait and anticipate God to show up, we learn what it looks like to trust in the Lord. Throughout Scripture, if you'll read your Bibles, there's so many times in the Scripture where people had to wait. They had to wait. Israel had to wait for 400 years for God to bring a deliverer, and he did. Abraham had to wait for around 100 years for the promise to be fulfilled. Isaac prayed for 20 years for his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Then the people waited 400 years for Jesus to be born. You see, throughout the scripture, there's all these places of where the people waited 
and they anticipated. And God, every time, showed up. Every time, he showed up in those places. Because as we wait, we learn how to trust in God. And this is such an important message for us this not, tonight and, and in this time because everything about our world teaches me that, you know what, if you want to get through, you've got to power up. That you've, gotta, you've just got to get to the gym. Gym. You've got to strengthen yourself. You've got to grab that thing by the horns. You've got to power up. You've got to do this. But what, this, what Advent teaches us is a counter message. That as we wait and we anticipate God to show up, we don't lack anything. Rather, we are strengthened, and we learn how to trust in God to show up on our behalf. And the ironic thing about this is that as we wait and anticipate God to move, that God is actually moved by our waiting. Look at the scripture here in Isaiah 64. It says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, nor I has seen any God beside you, because who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. That even though everything about you just tells you you've got to grab it and you've got to do it, what God's word teaches us is that God actually works on your behalf while you wait for him. And Isaiah 40, which is a famous, famous verse, says this, and this is from the message. It says, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. Those who wait on God get fresh strength. So where are you waiting for God to show up in your life? Where are you hoping that God will show up in your life? In my own life, for me, it's, it's with my family. That I have a couple of relationships uh, with my mom and a brother to where I'm, I'm hoping and I'm waiting and I'm anticipating God to show up. Because what I want is I want them to come to know the God that I have come to know. I want them to experience the joy and the peace and the hope that I have found in God. I want that for them. But I wait and I anticipate. And if I'm honest, every time that I try to power up or I try to put my hand to it or, or grab it by the horns, that I, it ends up just making it worse than before. So God, what he's been teaching me is you, you've got to wait and you've got to anticipate me to move. So what are you waiting on? Where are you hoping that God will show up? You see, hope, hope is not a wish list. Our hope in God is not a wish list. It's not wishful thinking, wishing that God will, hope, will show up. Rather, our hope in God is that God is with us. That God is already here. That God knows what you're waiting and you're anticipating him for. So what are you waiting for? Where are you hoping that God is going to show up? We've got a couple of, of questions and they're in your bulletins and we're going to have these on the screen as well. And what I would like to do is just create some space for us tonight. Just to take a minute or, or two uh, to really reflect on these questions and, and listen for God's voice. I don't know what your life looks like, uh, but for me, I'm moving all the time. What I love about when we get together is that this is an opportunity for us to really center ourselves on the Lord. For us to really listen to maybe what God is saying. And I want to encourage you as you sit there, as you ponder, as you reflect on these questions of where are you hoping God will show up? 
And how will you wait and anticipate that whatever comes to mind, that you'll just jot that down? Maybe it's a thought tonight. Maybe it's a thought later. Maybe it's a thought in this week. But I believe that God wants to show up in your life. Where are you waiting for him to do so? So this is your time. You're going to have about a minute or two to reflect, and then Jairus is going to lead us in song.